0: I'd hike down a path in our neighborhood through the woods to a huge glacial erratic. A rock that had been ground up and transported south in the glacier. This was a huge rock and I'd climb up on the top of the rock and I'd sit there for maybe 15 minutes or so and I'd mull over a list of things that were bugging me. I did the same thing driving to Griffith observatory when I lived in Los Angeles. I looked out over the city and got myself realigned. This is what Coco does when he's at the observatory in Prince William. Jones runs into Masha Abrams, a trustee at the college, and gets a tour of a colonial he likes on the Common in Hamilton. He has his first dinner at Police Chief George Strickland's house. And another phone call to Jones from the Slasher. Here is Episode 3 of the Prince William Slasher by R.P. Fitton. Observatory Point. Prince William, New Hampshire. Bruno said that Coco had taken the BMW out to Observatory Point beyond the Crosstown Bridge at the beginning of the Devonshire Hills. The van headlights shined up the constricted asphalt road toward a white concrete celestial observatory with a lead green dome. Jones shut the van door and walked up the ramp. The Prince William lights brightened against the cloudy evening sky and vehicles appeared like glowing bugs across the silhouetted Crosstown Bridge. A wind gust burst across the water as the foghorn's glare drifted in from the ocean. Coco wandered along the promenade columns. He took out his lighter and puffed the cigarette red when he saw Jones approach. Big Mouth Bruno, asked Coco. Big Mouth Bruno. He inhaled the cigarette and stared across the water. They buried Holly today, private service in Boston. I didn't know. The smoke slowly drifted by Jones. Red and green lights blinked on the buoys across the bay beyond the bridge. The traffic produced a low-level hum. Jonesy, let me ask you this. Do you think Larson is the slasher? Jones turned back to Coco. He shook his head. My gut says no. Me either. I frankly don't think that moron could pull it off. But then again, I didn't think he'd follow me out west. Coco, the scooter was back in the shed this afternoon. It was washed down. I just left the FBI. They were waiting for Pearson. Coco laughed. Pearson doesn't like yours truly. Why? Coco took a long drag and leaned against the stucco wall. My brother Anthony, I told you, he's missing in New York. Gunner Pearson, they call him guns, personally forced me out of New York. He threatened to lock me up, and he had the federal prosecutors behind him. The whole thing is one big cluster with the feds, the locals, and the thirty-six gang in New York City. Anthony is dead. I've accepted that. And guns isn't a straight arrow, either, Jonesy. Sorry. That's neither here nor there right now, said Coco, and then he blew the smoke into the night air. I want this slasher, whoever he is, dead for what he did to Holly. I understand. He raised his voice. It's not idle talk, Jonesy. I mean it. I have people from Boston in the club trying to find this scum. Very elusive. He gave Jones a double take. What? No one's even seen this killer. Well, Junior saw an outline of a gray hooded guy in a trench coat and part of the motorcycle license plate number. It matches Fish Face's tricycle. Junior caught all that? asked Jones. Yeah, I told you, the guy has a ridiculous memory. Do the cops know this? Nobody asked them, and I ain't telling them either, especially Pearson. Jones nodded. It sounds like Pearson already has it in for you. I don't want to hear it, Jonesy. You're not involved. I'm just letting you know. Like you let me know about the scooter in the back of the shed. The killer has old blood and his prints are on the duct tape. I'm aware of that. George Strickland is trying to get Lester's blood type from the infirmary, but he'll need a court order. (laughs) Don't bank your luck on slow-mo Strickland and all the legal beagles. I can have that info tomorrow morning at the latest. He pointed at Jones. And don't ask me how, Jonesy. I wouldn't think of it. Good. Jones furrowed his brow. Whether Lester did it or not, putting that scooter back in the shed makes no sense. We'll see. Listen, come over to the club tomorrow night. I need the crowd. I don't want people to think the Slasher is still around. Sure, I'll be there. And do me a favor, Jonesy. You don't know I come out here to think. Just in case somebody is tracking you down. Coco gave him a thumb-lock handshake. Exactly right, bro. As morning broke, Jones left the Marlborough and walked onto the common. Near the bare trees atop the hill on Main Street, Arnie Dewis popped behind the Prince William Credit Union building. Jones pursed his lips. From the edge of the common, he focused on the early morning sunlight, highlighting the white colonial on the corner of Shore Road. The clapboards looked freshly painted, even though the grass was uncut. If he owned the home, he would have had his boys mow the lawn, and he pictured having his teams on the backyard patio for cookouts. Are you browsing or dreaming? He turned to see a short-haired woman, middle-aged in a Navy business suit. Both. Then he looked back toward the bank. Arnie's blue-striped baseball cap again bobbed around the corner of the building. I'm Marsha Abrams, she said, extending her hand. Jones slowly panned back to Marcia. Matthias Jones, I met Mr. Abrams at the college trustee meeting. "'My dad is optimistic things will get better with the college teams, "'especially after Lark—' "'The Lark will be fine,' said Jones, in retirement. "'Would you like to see the interior?' she asked. "'Could I? Sure!' "'Remember, I'm just browsing and dreaming,' Marcia flashed her real estate smile. "'I'll keep that in mind.' Jones followed Marsha through the front gate and up the walk as Arnie tiptoed behind the tree trunks near his small pickup truck. Marsher opened the creaky picket fence gate and they moved up the field stones toward the front door. That man is a major nuisance. Lark? asked Marsher. No, Arnie ha! <laughs> He's been that way all his life. He used to put frogs in the girls' room in third grade. Scared us silly. Well, I hope he was punished said Jones, gritting his teeth as the doous pickup pulled away from the curb up the hill. Jones's cell vibrated. Excuse me. She nodded and climbed the granite steps to the front door. Coco's name lit up on the display. Coco. Bad news for Fishface. Type O, Jonesy. No. Yeah, not good. Are you gonna have him hit? Jonesy, I'm not hitting nobody. Masha opened the glossy red door and Jones followed her inside to a stone-tiled foyer. The musty air and dust-covered windowsills gave the house an older appearance. To his right was an empty living room with wood floorboards and several long-pane windows. Are you sure it's O? Yeah, I'm sure. My uncle made a few calls and got the info. Listen, I have documentation. Don't let this get out, Jones. It'll take the cops a few days to weed through the paperwork. Jones trailed Marsha through the living room. A huge pane window overlooked the patio and the tall green foliage along Shore Road. Now we need the fingerprint checks in the database. Keep me up to date, Jones. If your fish-face killed Holly? Well, you know the rest. I think I do. I'll talk to you. Sorry, Marsha. No problem. This house has been unoccupied for over a year. 2,500 square feet, natural gas, forced hot water. Pipes are old, but okay. Jones was amazed at her honesty. The kitchen had ample gray counter space and a set of sliders overlooking the patio. His phone rang again. Busy man. Jones smiled and was baffled at the unknown number. Hello, Matthias Jones. The line sputtered and crackled. Who is this? He asked as Marsha opened the sliders. He heard heavy breathing. Jones walked back into the living room, away from Marsha. Okay, I'm going to hang up on you, pervert.
1: Hello, old boy. Lark? Matthias?
0: Lark, where are you? asked Jones, praying the former football coach had not returned from the cruise. Knowing his son was under suspicion for murder might send Lark over the edge.
1: Old boy, we're having the time of our lives. I feel like a young buck.
0: Jones ran his fingers along the green colonial wallpaper. Look, Lark, that's nice. Where are you?
1: Oh, we're in the Canary Islands, old boy. I don't see any canaries. Do you see any canaries, Flo?
0: Well, it's been nice talking with you, Lark.
1: We're about to enter the majestic Mediterranean. I wanted to back some suggestions for the baseball team.
0: Jones pushed his fingers back through his hair. Lark, we still have 15 basketball games. just email me, he said as he began pacing in the living room. Email? Jones shrugged his shoulders to Marsha on the patio. Locke, this call must be costing you a fortune. After a short silence, Locke coughed several times. Oh,
1: well, righto. Talk to you later.
0: Then the line cut with a loud click. Jones held out his phone and shook his head. Then he walked out onto the patio. A new stockade fence surrounded a grassy square backyard. The patio had smooth gray fieldstone tiles. There's an outside gas line for a grill, said Marsha. Excellent, Jones panned the grass out back. The property is kept well. Larry's landscaping, Professor Collins' trust keeps it going. Jones's phone rang again. I'm so sorry. Listen, Matthias, I have an appointment in Newtown. You look around, she said, handing him her card. Just lock it up. If you have any questions, give me a call. Thank you, Marsha. Matthias Jones. Jones climbed the wood stairs to the second floor. The large master bedroom was above the living room and a hallway connected the other two bedrooms upstairs. The upstairs was painted antique white with a wood trim.
1: Matthias, it's
0: George. Anything, George? As a matter of fact, yes. Not surprisingly, there are hundreds of fingerprints in the shed, but they've identified some as Lester Larson's fingerprints. Marsha closed the front door below, and through the hall window, Jones saw her move toward the picket fence gate. On the scooter? No, the
1: scooter was wiped clean and washed. It's very strange.
0: Really? The odds are that Lester brought the scooter back. And he did work in the shed. My dad used to say he liked definitive proof.
1: I agree. By the way, Mary wants to have you over tonight. You'll like Mary.
0: The Dewar's pickup truck inched up Shore Road beyond the Arborvitae. That stupid idiot. What? Arnie Dewar's is stalking me. He just drove up Shore Road.
1: You're kidding. You want me to send Wendell over?
0: No, I'll take care of the nosy Mr. Dewar's. What time would you like me to come over, George?
1: Five
0: I'll surprise you, said Jones. Jones scurried down the front stairs and quickly locked the outside door. The sun was a little brighter now as he leaped the picket fence onto Shore Road and surprised Arnie, sitting on the trunk hood, smoking a cigarette. Startled, Arnie lost his balance and fell toward the bushes. Hey, that's assault and battery, yelled Arnie from the bushes. As he stood, he brushed his his lumber shirt and navy pants. Arnie, why are you following me? I saw you up at the bank. Well, I want to make restitution for helping Lester. Well, go restitute somewhere else. Hey, you need a ride, don't you? That rental van is a danger to the public. Arnie, I'll call you if I need you. I'm telling you, you need a ride. My rental is parked over at the Marlboro. I can get you a deal on a used Porsche. Used to belong to Benny McGinnity till he drove it into the Quanticat River. All set, Arnie. Have a good day. Jones pivoted down Main Street and jogged away from Arnie, past the storefronts. Breakfast aromas of coffee, bacon, and eggs drifted through the air. He looked over at the Colonial House's front window, and a few people coming out waved. If he had not eaten earlier at the Marlboro, he would veer across the street and order a breakfast from Franny. After a long afternoon practice, Jones relaxed in the lounger. The wind gusts were constant off the bay. Jones wore his red Hamilton windbreakers as he sat with Strickland on the police chief's rear deck and boardwalk. Strickland looked like a lumberjack in his red flannel shirt, jeans, and work boots. The deepening clouds lined the horizon over the sunlit bay as the breakers progressed toward shore and broke like dominoes, falling toward Prince William. Jones dug into another juicy barbecued rib. Mary Strickland, in her flowery apron, handed him another beer. I like this restaurant, said Jones, wiping his hands on the napkin before taking the moisture-laden bottle. No ocean in Indiana, asked Mary. Not that I know of, replied Jones, smiling. So, George, how did you get into police work? Strickland gripped his beer bottle and squinted as if he were gazing back in time. I was an MP in the Army and applied for an officer job here in Hamilton when I was discharged. And then Chief Dunn retired. "'Done was all done,' said Mary from the Brighton kitchen. "'I guess he was,' said Jones, chuckling. "'So you get to work where you were brought up?' "'Yup.' Strickland tilted the bottle and drank more beer. "'Technically, I report to the selectmen, cleared by Hamilton, of course.' "'Of course.' "'Have you found a place yet, Matthias?' asked Mary, bringing out a huge chocolate cake. "'Whoa, boy! "'You like chocolate?' asked Mary. "'Sure!' "'George, how do you stay so slim?' Strickland placed his hands on his temples, his face tightened. "'I worry a lot, especially with Wendell.' Then he faced Jones and took another swig. "'I know what you're going to ask. How did Wendell get the deputy job?' "'Well, nepotism, pure and simple. His uncle's with the state police.' "'It happens,' said Jones, finishing the rib. Below the cliff, a couple slowly trekked south toward the marina boats in the distant orange light. They were not close or holding hands. Jones stood when the man turned toward Strickland's house and lifted a pair of binoculars. "'Who's that watching us with the binoculars?' "'Here, watch them back,' said Mary, handing a pair of long black field glasses to Jones. Jones swept the beach like a security camera but quickly focused on Maynard Hall, scarf around his neck and his sideburns bold in the evening light. His fluffy curly hair furrowed in the sea breeze. Maynard Hall! I hate that guy! Strickland laughed. Join the club. The Maynard hater list is pretty big. He handed the glasses to Strickland. Maynard is a Hamilton Fletcher wannabe, and a Major League snob. Snob? A mild word, George. He's obnoxious and rude, with delusions of grandeur. "'Sounds like you're getting to know old Maynard,' said Mary from the kitchen. "'Hamilton never wanted Maynard in town, but Dolly insisted.' "'Dolly?' asked Jones. "'Mrs. Fletcher. "'Dolly died in a car accident in upstate New York eleven years ago.' "'Drove off a bridge,' said Strickland. "'There were alcoholic beverages involved. "'She was a wonderful lady.' "Oh, well, that's awful,' said Jones. "'Hamilton never remarried?' Strickland stared across the bay. He did not. He never got over it, said Mary. And I mean never. That's why he is the way he is. I can understand why, said Jones, looking again at Maynard and a woman in an apple-green kerchief walking below on the beach. Is that Maynard's wife with him? Bertie, said Mary. Jones looked over his shoulder and then laughed as he spoke. Who made up that name, Lark? "'No, that's her legal name,' said Strickland. "'Do they walk the beach often, George? They don't look particularly close.' "'I don't think I've ever seen them down there. Have you, Mary?' Mary tiptoed onto the deck. "'The halls? Tanning beds, yes. Beaches, no. "'And they just happen to be taking a stroll down Lover's Lane tonight,' asked Jones. Strickland stood and looked below. Matthias, you're too suspicious.' You can never be too suspicious. Maynard was over at the Marlborough asking me personal questions earlier. Entitlement, Matthias. Don't pay any attention to him. He thinks he's God's gift to the world. Just ask his wife, said Mary. She's the same way. True. Strickland set down the beer. By the way, I can't make heads or tails of that Cal Stanford game. Me either. I'm assuming that whoever it was is trying to send the whole investigation into a tailspin. "'Agreed. Or it could be something totally personal,' said Strickland. "'If that's the case, we'll never figure it out.' Strickland paused, and his gray eyes focused on Jones. It "'Was a hell of an unusual play, though, Matthias, wasn't it? "'You play football, George? "'Hamilton High. High school is down on Washington Street.' Strickland made a hapless gesture toward the town forest. "'Played with Pudgy Wilson and Newt Potts. "'Who's the coach now? A guy named Chuck Carter. He's not bad.' They won a championship around five years ago, but not the Nationals. Lark was the head coach there for four and a half years, said Strickland. Lark? He quit because the town owed him some kind of bonus, said Mary. No, Mary, Lark was getting free service on that old station wagon he had. When the transmission went, they refused to pay for it, and then he quit. Who hired him at Hamilton, asked Jones. Main and Bertie had moved slightly closer to the cliff. Chief Dunn and Lark were big buddies. Dunn had something on Hamilton. From what I can gather, Lark pressured Hamilton when he found out what Dunn knew. "'Dolly was still alive then,' said Mary. "'Oh, is Hamilton being a naughty boy?' asked Jones, grinning. "'Probably.' "'That explains a lot,' added Jones." Even though darkness had settled over the gray beach sand and more vessel lights appeared in the ocean, Maynard again had the binoculars in his hands. Strickland stood. I figure I have two options to get Maynard the hell off the beach, said Strickland. Well, what's the first one? Asked Jones, holding his beer as he sat down. Call Hamilton, but that's too easy. He set the binoculars on the glass side table and stepped in the kitchen, returning half a minute later with his handgun. "'Georgia, isn't that a little bit much?' asked Jones, leaping to his feet. "'He always does that, Matthias. That gun has no firing pin or ammunition.' Jones smiled as Strickland waved the gun. Within a few seconds, Maynard grabbed Bertie and they trotted down the sand. "'He must be parked at Hanson's Marina. He'll call Hamilton, and then I'll tell Hamilton how Maynard was spying on us.' "'Sounds like a plan to me, George.'" Chapter 10 Jones's office, Hamilton College, Hamilton, New Hampshire. Jones continued sorting manila folders all morning in his office. As he stared at the huge, oak-framed color photo of Lark on the office wall, his cell sounded in his jacket behind the chair. Jones reached in his pocket as he looked into Lark's big blue eyes, magnified behind his silver-rimmed glasses. Bon voyage, Lark said Jones, turning in his chair. Matthias Jones.
1: Matthias, Jim Gallagher.
0: Jones again glanced at Lark's ever-present countenance. And how are you this fine day, father?
1: Oh, I have the senior citizen's trip to Connecticut coming up on Monday. Bunch of nervous nullies. They all want to stop off at the Bristol winery outside of Hartford.
0: Salute! Gallagher raised his voice as he did during his homily. Jones laughed. Let me guess, you want me to sign up Jimmy Buttafino tonight?
1: No, I'm just checking that tonight doesn't include hanging out at Club Max.
0: Now, Father, I'm a big boy. Matthias, you can only get into trouble at Club Max. I'm just meeting Coco. He's still upset as I am about Holly's death. I get it. So, we start calling numbers at 8, and there are lots of nice young women here in the parish. But, Father, and I'll Jones was about to speak, but Gallagher was gone. He checked Lark's old lime-green analog clock on the wall and made a note to order a digital clock. A smile formed quickly. That man is extremely aggressive. He must have been one hell of a fighter. Between the bare tree branches at the St. Bart's Parish Hall, light blazed through the upper window span. Jones checked his watch. By pacifying Father Gallagher for a few minutes, He would foster their relationship then he could go over to club max and discuss the slasher case with coco jones thought he saw steam from the van's hood as he locked the doors he walked between the smattering of cars in the side parking lot the massive church was gray in the murky evening light parish members greeted him as he approached the side door several hundred people sat at long tables down the length of the parish hall Multiple bingo cards were placed on the tables, like food plates at a banquet, and the hall had a boisterous basketball game atmosphere. The orange-haired Gallagher wore a slanted gambler's hat and a striped vest as he distributed bingo cards as the patrons eagerly handed over cash at a small table up front. Gallagher waved Jones over and Jones crossed in front of the tables. Well, there he is, shouted the priest. Jones looked over the striped vest and the beige khakis. "'Excuse me, I'm looking for Father Gallagher. "'He's a, a Roman Catholic priest.' "'Well, he won't be back till Mass tomorrow,' said Gallagher. "'How many cards can I put you down for?' "'Give me two, said Jones, taking money out of his wallet. "'Grace?' he said to the woman in the flowery dress. "'See if you can sell Coach Jones here another card.' "'Grace's green eyes brightened. "'Coach?' "'Okay, give me another. "'That'll be $15,' she said with a wide smile.' Grace, I hope the prize is worth it. Grace leaned forward and pointed as she spoke. Coach, someone is going to win a thousand dollars. Really? Sure, my nephew Rodney won the prize last month. Really? He bought me a new coffee maker. I love hazelnut. She raised her hand over her mouth and in confidence spoke in a low voice. Plus, I had him give a hundred back to father. Smart, said Jones, smiling as Grace gave him three cards. Good luck, coach. Thank you, Grace. I want you around to call some numbers for a round, said Gallagher, pointing at him. Hopefully the Bertafinos will be here. Yes, father. An hour later, having lost $40, Jones was motioned up front by Gallagher to call out bingo numbers. The crowd had grown and was as loud as Club Max. Jones's phone rang as Gallagher was about to give him the mic. Jones.
1: Where the hell are you, Jonesy?
0: I'll be there after this round. Jones spoke over the combined buzz from the bingo players.
1: Round? What, are you at another bar?
0: No, I'm at bingo. you what? Bingo.
1: I heard you the first time. Come on, Junior wants to play darts with you. And there's girls over here. Bingo.
0: Give me 15 minutes. I ought to You do that, Coco. Bye. Jones hung up and took the mic. Hello, folks. I'm uh, Coach Matthias Jones from Hamilton College. Grace gave him the thumbs-up sign from the receipt table. I'm new in the area, but not new to bingo. Raising money for St. Bart's is very good, but winning the pot is even better. How much is it, Father? One thousand dollars, shouted Gallagher from the first table. Twelve hundred, added Grace, raising her index finger. Do I hear fifteen? Okay, here we go. Jones turned the globe and a ball rolled down the chute. I-twenty-six. Gallagher returned up front. I can get you a a full-time job doing this. And I can revoke those basketball tickets. Gallagher laughed as Jones called out the next number. O-seventy-two. The priest wandered over to Grace as Jones grinned. I-28. Somebody's gonna win. Ten minutes later, Jones was perplexed as to why no one had called Bingo. He was surprised to see Coco in his long leather coat walk through the side doors. Coco's face tightened as he looked at Jones and then moved along the table up to Gallagher by the front stage. He shook hands with Gallagher. I-24 shouted a middle-aged blonde about midway down back. Two parishioners conversed about the card and checked against the called numbers. Gallagher's mouth opened wide as he again shook hands with Coco. He nodded and then waved the bingo winner up front. Mrs. Medcalf, said Gallagher. Congratulations, Grace will get your check. He motioned for Grace to retrieve the check from the rectory. Well, good for her, said Jones. Wait, it gets better. Gallagher took the mic. The next game is going to be a little different. Everyone will receive a prepaid card. Crowd chatter turned into applause, and the pot will remain the same. How did you do that? asked Jones. Mr. Stefani, said Gallagher. Jones caught sight of Coco standing outside the door smoking a cigarette. Wow. Bill Devlin will call the next game, and thank you, Matthias. No problem, Jim. Coco snuffed out the cigarette, and Jones met him inside the open doorway. That was nice of you, Coco. What are you talking about, Jonesy? The prepaid cards. You're dreaming. You ready for the club? Let me say goodbye to Gallagher. Coco half-grinned. Take your time, bingo man. Jones rounded the tables up to Gallagher, speaking with three parishioners by the stage. Gallagher put his hand on Jones's shoulder. We can use you again next week, Matthias. Coco already had headed for the door. Sure. Feel free to purchase cards. Yes, father. Outside, a motorcycle engine grew louder and produced a Doppler effect down the street, but then the engine cut. Jones tightened his brow. What's the matter? asked Gallagher. I'm not sure. Jones sidestepped toward the darkened doorway. He spotted Coco near his white BMW and moving toward the sidewalk. A motorcycle! yelled Jones. Coco ran into the rectory parking lot. I heard it, Jonesy. Gallagher rushed through the open parish hall door and met both men outside. Where's Grace? I don't know, Father. Gallagher jutted left toward the rear rectory door by the kitchen. Is he all right snooping around alone? asked Jones. Father can handle himself, said Coco. Jonesy, you go around the rectory from behind and I'll go in front. Jones moved slowly by the big blue dumpster. The side street behind the rectory had a few parked cars under the streetlights and the bare trees. Jones opened the rear gate in the chain-link fence and jogged along the sidewalk. He met Coco when he turned the corner. I know I heard a motorcycle. Look, maybe we are all uptight about the slasher. The two men walked along the chain-link fence bordering the north side of the rectory. Gallagher escorted Grace back into the parish hall. The Hamilton murder. You ever know it has to be related. Well, something ain't right, said Coco, checking the area. I didn't hear that motorcycle leave. A few cars passed by the church, but no motor scooter. Right, he cut the engine. Which means he's still here. Jones followed Coco back to the dumpster. His friend had drawn his black handgun. Coco signaled with his finger over his mouth for Jones to be quiet. Then he mouthed the words, Lift the lid. With his gun extended, Coco shined his phone light inside when Jones popped the dumpster lid. Jones shook his head. The problem with the scooter is you can lift it up and carry it if you have to. You know, stash it. Gallagher returned to the parking lot. His shaky voice cut the air. My God, Grace is okay. Do you think it was... Just a motorcycle, father, said Coco. Did anyone see an axe? asked Jones. When the slasher called me... An axe was mentioned. No axe, Jonesy. The whole city is jittery. I heard Picador offered a $50,000 reward for any information leading to the slasher. Are you kidding? Asked Coco. No one's going near this case. You're probably right. Wait, wait, I get it. What are you talking about, Jonesy? For argument's sake, let's say this was the slasher tonight. You and I were at the club and we're here. Someone is committing a crime with us around. Maybe that's how he gets his kicks. For some reason, said Jones, what is it that causes somebody to kill in a certain way with props over and over? Who the hell knows, Jonesy, come on. It happened too close to home at the club in here. Jones used his index finger to punch in Strickland's number. The line rang for at least 20 seconds before Strickland answered. Matthias. George, I think the slasher just tried to kill again at St. Bart's. The motorcycle left and cut the engine. He may be headed for the shed. I'll
1: get Wendell over there. Did you call PWPD?
0: My next call.
1: I'll take care of it. Stay right there.
0: What did he say? asked Coco. If the slasher comes back to the shed, George will have Wendell there. Huh, guess Strickland's sending in the A-team. Chapter 11 Hamilton Police Station, Hamilton, New Hampshire Outside the station, Strickland held a white notepad. Clouds hovered over the town and Jones felt a few raindrops. Cars moved along Main Street as he thought back to last night outside the parish hall. I thought Gallagher looked scared this morning in church, said Strickland. Maybe the motorcycle was nothing at all, said Jones, munching on a Big Mama's vanilla cream donut. Then he sipped the hot coffee. Everyone's on the brink, George. Damn right they are. Jones wiped his lips with a napkin. And you're telling me Wendell saw a scooter in the shed. He was down there within ten minutes of our call. Either there's two scooters or... It wasn't the Slasher at St. Bart's. Jones swallowed more coffee. Grace told Kevin Phillips she saw the Slasher. Well, maybe it was a copycat. Jones shook his head. I think he cut the engine, and when we started searching, he simply walked the scooter away. The second scooter. I heard Bricotta is in a shaky position because of the slasher. The Reward may not be enough to keep him in office. And Herbert Lane is in Bermuda. Herbert never met a battle he couldn't run from. He knows his own election is on the line because of the slasher. I think we should sweep the campus and not the Devonshire Hills. Why? My gut tells me that someone is framing Lester with the motor scooter. I don't get it. "'Obviously, there are two scooters here, George. Let's take my side road theory forward. Why would Lester need to be framed for these murders?' "'People are framed when you want them out of the way,' said Strickland. "'Get them in jail, etc.' Jones pointed at him. "'Right, or shut them up, or allow them to be killed. What's the bottom line?' "'The slasher may have killed Deverno, and Deverno was having an affair.' Strickland stroked his chin and said nothing for at least 10 seconds as occasional raindrops fell. How do you know this? Since she didn't tell me not to mention her name, it was Pia. Who the hell was Darlene having the affair with? Pia only knew of the affair. She didn't know who. Strickland pursed his lips. I originally took a statement from Pia. Why did she tell you about the affair now? She could have told me two years ago. Maybe she wanted to make sure Alvin was out of town, and she didn't want to ruin her friend's reputation. I have zero evidence that Darlene was murdered by the slasher. He stepped closer. She was just a normal person, killed for some other reason. Regular people veer off the tracks too, George, said Jones as the raindrops hit his arms. Sometimes I think this thing will never be solved. You better tell her they're going to want a statement under oath about this so-called affair. I'm sure she knows that, George. It still doesn't get us closer into finding the slasher. You'll have to give a statement also. I know. People are scared silly and the feds are all over everything we're doing. I would watch what I say, Matthias. Why? Because of Hamilton Fletcher? Especially Hamilton. I have a feeling he'll be calling me about his new assistant coach, Jones said in a low voice. You don't seem too happy about that. I want Woozy Williams. But I'll take what I can get as long as it isn't froggy. I'll do some checking before practice. The raindrops were heavier now, and I'll quietly begin looking around campus for lesser. Keep me informed if you find anything. We'd best get in the cruiser or we'll get soaked. Sometimes I think my mind is so focused on this slasher thing I forget about everything else. Strickland drove Jones to the gym. The two men again reviewed the slasher's motives, as the wipers alternately cleared the cruiser windshield. Strickland was convinced that because the play was so bizarre, the underlying motivation of the killer, once revealed, would make perfect sense within the context of the play. For some reason, George, said Jones, the slasher is obsessed with that kickoff, the laterals, and the unlikely touchdown. You don't go around murdering people just because your team loses a game. Oh, really? You haven't been a coach? Strickland grinned. Phillips thinks it's a total monkey wrench. That may be true, said Jones, pointing. Well, enjoy your day, Matthias, even though I know you'll be racking your brain on the slasher. I have practiced this afternoon, he said, looking out over the rain-smeared window. It always rained like this, George? Only when we need it. I'll talk to you later. Stay dry. As Jones entered the side door, the hefty Leo Crawley, in his gray sweatshirt and jeans, carried a bag of basketballs toward the storage room. Jones shook like a dog, shedding water. Hey, Leo. Hey, Coach, I'm glad you're here. Let me guess, Locks returned to coach the team. <laughs> I don't think so, he said, pointing at Bub. The center light is out. Do you want me to get on Jefferson's and get more bulbs? Didn't we just replace all the bulbs? "'Well, I told Arnie that.' "'Arnie?' asked Jones, looking up. "'What happened?' Arnie and Smitty were taking bets. "'Jones walked up to Leo. First of all, who is Smitty?' "'He works for Larry's Landscaping.' "'Okay. Why were they betting?' "'Well, it was before I got here. "'How did they get in?' asked Jones, again looking up. "'I think Arnie knows a way in here.' "'Oh, really?' They were betting a buck every time they hit the overhead lights. Those lights are encased in metal mesh, Leo. Jones could feel the tenseness in his stomach. You call Arnie and tell him I want to see him. How many lights are out? Seven. Jones opened his mouth. Okay, go down to Jefferson's Hardware, get a dozen bulbs. Well, how do I pay for it? Don't we have an account? Lark would wait for cash from Malcolm Hayes. Who? The Fletcher controller. For light bulbs? Jones reached in his wallet and pulled out a $100 bill. And tell that goofy guy, Courtney? Right, that we need to establish an account. Jones pushed his fingers through his hair. But call Arnie first and don't tell him I know about the lights. You gonna smack him, Coach? No, Leo, but I am gonna make him pay for those bulbs. Jones sat in the empty bleaches and checked his notes on his yellow pad. The upper windows were streaked from the rain. He needed to practice the fast break with the team later this afternoon. The boys would not like more exercise. As he looked up, Arnie, carrying his work boots, wandered down the sideline. "'Arnie, what's up?' asked Jones, pretending that nothing was wrong. "'I don't want to get water on your floor.' "'Thanks.' Arnie pushed up his black-rimmed glasses and tightened his brow. I'm worried that my buddy Lester's a slasher. For the first time, Arnie looked sincere. Arnie, I don't think anybody really knows. Hey, it ain't looking good for the little guy. No, it isn't, said Jones, holding his notepad. Say, Arnie, I don't know how you got inside the gym, but don't let it happen again. Well, you gotta be more careful think you have a key. Probably a master key. And further, I think Lester got it for you. You're dreaming. That would be unethical. Exactly. You can hand it over now. Can't help you. I'll tell you what. You can have that key find its way to my desk by tomorrow, or I'll get Strickland involved. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to go over to Marlborough and then to Newtown. You need a ride? You don't want to break down in the rain. Jones checked his watch, still worried about being late for practice. No, Arnie, I'm fine. Oh yeah, with that piece of junk, Van? Things are in the works. I'll have a new car soon. Remember, I can get that Porsche for you. I'll remember that. Hey, what's so important in Newtown? Did anyone ever tell you you're nosy, Arnie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jones's phone buzzed in his pocket as Arnie walked toward the lobby. The voice was slurred, almost drunk. You think you're so clever, Jones? Just who are you? asked Jones, standing. Arnie had entered the lobby. A low, bellicose laugh preceded heavy breathing. Death comes swiftly by the blade. You don't scare me. Why me?
1: I remember the play like it was yesterday.
0: Again, the demon laugh exploded from the depths of a troubled soul as the line cut. Jones kicked the bleachers
1: sick. Well, I wish I could have traced the
0: call, yelled Strickland on the phone from his house. No doubt about it. The slasher involves me now since Holly's death. Hence the attempt at St. Bart's. I'll call you tonight, George. Jones set the phone on the passenger seat. The wipers smudged water across the windshield. He pressed his lips as the van had difficulty moving up the slippery grade in the Devonshire Hills. He could hear Coco's warning in his head to get another vehicle but through Godzilla rentals. About midway up the highway, a loud engine noise became a constant clatter as the van lost power. Jones pulled over to the shoulder. The rain now moved in sheets down the windshield. Steam spiraled out of the hood and he shut off the van engine. He stepped from the van into the rain and kicked the tire. You piece of junk! Down the hill, back toward Hamilton, the Doers' pickup raced up the highway. Oh great, my one and only hope, Arnie Doers. Arnie, cigarette-plunked in his mouth, pulled by Jones, and in front of the van. He rolled out of the truck and in the rain like a monkey swinging in the cage, but left the truck engine running and the wipers swishing. I told you! Told me what, Arnie? That van is a piece of... I need a ride. The water drizzled off Arnie's cap visor. What's the matter? Can't take a little rain? Look, Arnie, said Jones, his hair becoming matted down. Hey, I won't accuse you of being a (laughs) know-it-all. Me? Where we going? Asked Arnie. Jones pushed the key button and locked the van doors. Hey, I used to drive taxi. Tell me where you want to go. You drove taxi? Jones climbed inside and swept the empty coffee cups and trash onto the floor. The truck reeked of cigarette smoke. That company ain't here no more because of the lawsuit. I don't want to hear it, Arnie. Arnie pulled into the lane without looking. Jones exhaled. The passengers all recovered. Jones held the dash and just stared at him. Yikes. Arnie kept his cigarette out the window as per Jones' request. Once in Prince William, he drove in an unusual driving pattern over the slick cross town bridge's concrete. I was a high school star, said Arnie. Arnie, just stay in one lane. These roads are bad with the rain. What, are you afraid of traffic too? "'No, it's you I'm afraid of,' he said. Arnie whipped into the inner lane and fishtailed. "'Arnie, you chicken!' Jones pinched the bridge of his nose. "'What sports did you play, Arnie?' "'Triathlete for Hamilton High School.' "'I bet you smoked.' "'Yeah, did you see that old Enterprise article? It even put a picture of me smoking while completing a TD pass.' "'You don't say,' said Jones, wishing he had just rented another vehicle.' Arnie, tell me the truth. Did you talk to Lester? Nah, Lester only gave muddy notes. We did just what he asked us to do. Is Lester the slasher, Arnie? I tell you, if he got mad enough, he could do it. But we're talking about more than one murder. Maybe. Twenty minutes later, Arnie moved along the state highway's rolling countryside as the rain continued. The dealership's green metal building was smaller than Jones had imagined. You must be making big bucks to get a Mercedes, said Arnie, unless Hamilton Fletcher is paying for it. Just stay in the truck. I'm glued to the seat. You ought to glue your lips. What was that, Matthias? Stay put. Yes, sir, he said, saluting. Jones exited the truck and headed for the large glass door. He wiped his sneakers on the ribbed entrance mat. The tire rubber's pungent smell filled the showroom. A red-headed salesman with a blue checkered shirt descended upon him before he reached the first showroom vehicle. I'm not here to buy a car. Insurance? No. Parts guy? No. Then who the hell are you? I need to ask a few questions. Huh? cop? No. I give up? He sat on the inside window ledge. He had three rings on his fingers. I am Johnny Franco. Johnny. Do you remember a Darlene Deverneau? Can't say that I do, but I've been here for five years, Mr. Uh, Jones. she a customer? I think she may have been. She's been dead for two years. So what's the deal? I'm trying to find out if she was in here with anyone. Johnny pointed to the rear corridor. Place to go is service. Punch Lawless. Punch Lawless? That's his name. I don't think he served time. said Johnny, laughing. Then he thought about it. Jones grinned. Is he here now? Let me get him for you, if you dare. Disturbing punch in the service bay is like trying to take over a cook's kitchen. I get it. Thanks, Johnny. You got it. Jones picked up a brochure and walked around the blue sports car. The car had a fresh new leather smell, but its sales sticker made Jones step back. He exhaled and wondered if he was wasting his time. Mr. Jones, said Johnny from the rear opening. A long, ring-nosed hose blew the exhaust out the open garage door. Swirls of water followed the asphalt into the catch basin as the rain tapped on the metal roof. A thin little man in a blue jumpsuit wiped his hands with a white rag, but his voice boomed. I'm a busy man, Jones. Darlene Deverneau. They slashed your throat, said Punch. They? He was half-shaven and had tired eyes. Figure of speech. Why are you here asking about Mrs. Devereaux? I want to know if her death is connected to the slasher. Just who the hell are you? I'm working privately with the Hamilton police. Oh, who killed her? asked Jones. Punch shook his head. Damned, at first I thought it might be Alvin. Her husband. Right. Bah, but he was a wet noodle. Then there was a guy in here who met her a few times. They argued in the parking lot. In my opinion, she was cheating on Alvin. What did he look like? Thin guy, had a driving scarf, a beard, or sideburns. Little, big jaw. Just saw him from behind on the side. I was working. Looked real hoity-toity. How so? Like he was a professor pointing at her. They were both furious. But that was years ago. Miss Negrigio drove over here and tried to comfort her later. Pia. right, The model. Classy. Guess they were friends. They were. You don't know who the guy was. Don't know. Taller than Mrs. Devereaux. She was around five six. brown hair. Looks styled. He drive a car. Don't know. Punch, said Jones, writing down his cell number on the pamphlet. If you think of anything else or see this man, let me know. Either slasher? Maybe, maybe not. Jones shook hands and started back across the service area. Then he stopped and turned. Did this guy have wide sideburns? Punch, chrome wrench in his hand, was already under the hood of a gray Mercedes convertible. He could have. Wait, said Jones, holding out his phone. He typed in Maynard's name as a trustee at Hamilton College. Maynard's profile came up quickly along with a formal photo. Is this the guy... Punch stepped out from under the hood, pinched his chin, and shrugged his shoulders. Don't know. Been a while, and he was out front. Can't help you. No, you have, Punch. Jones glanced at Maynard's picture and then looked up. Did Darlene call him by name? They were too far away. Jones kept thinking about Maynard, a man with sideburns arguing with Deverneau at the dealership. He shook his head and tried not to let his distaste for Maynard cloud whether the man had committed murder. The rain intensified as the truck rumbled over the rolling hills, the bare trees blurring by. Hey, Earth to Matthias! Earth to Matthias! Shut up, Arnie. What'd I say? Where do I begin? Arnie kept looking down at his phone, and the wipers clapped. Arnie, you don't even know where you are. Sure, we're on the way back to Hamilton. With the storm, you should have taken the main roads. Arnie hit a bump and Jones' shoulder slammed the side window. Just slow down. I've driven these roads since I was 13 years old. Thirteen? Jones shook his head and pulled out his cell phone. He punched in Pia's cell number. Pia, this is Matthias Jones. I've just learned information that you may know more than you told me. Please give me a call. Hey, you going out with Pia? asked Arnie. You move right in, don't you? Arnie, don't start one of your rumors. I'm not going out with anyone. Jones stared, and Arnie pretended to button his lip. Mums mm, the word, sure it is. And remember, I want that key back. No can do. We'll see. Arnie drove rapidly over the narrow, winding road. The potholes patched, and a long cable strung between concrete posts along the road shoulder through the Devonshire Hills. Several times his tires hit the shoulder mud. You're going to get us killed. Hey, you take your life in your hands when you ride with kid doers. Ever driven in a stock car race, Matthias? No, I haven't, Arnie. I have a basketball practice. Do you even know where you are? I know every shortcut from here to Maine. Oh, yeah? Why don't you have a GPS? <laughs> You're a wuss if you have to rely on a GPS. Hey, you don't even have a car. The road merged with an older section of Prince William, consisting of weathered factories and faded claboard company houses. Arnie splashed through the long puddles and localized flooding. Eventually, the road ended up near the highway, slicing the Devonshire Hills and Hamilton. Forty-five minutes later, Jones stepped out of the truck and pulled his windbreaker over his head. Arnie, that ride took a half an hour longer. What, are you in a hurry? Yeah, I told you I have a practice. Don't worry, I won't say anything about Pia. Say whatever you want, Arnie. I don't care. Just get me that key or I'll be calling Hamilton Fletcher. Jones shut the door and Arnie leaned toward the open window. You're welcome for the ride. Jones hurried into the gym and out of the rain. He shook his head and returned to his office. Before he called Strickland, he needed more side-road thinking as to the identity of Devereaux's lover. Just because the guy arguing with Devereaux had a beard or side whiskers did not mean he was Maynard Hall. Within ten minutes, he was on the cell with Kevin Phillips. Phillips asked him if Pia knew the identity of Devereaux's lover. Kevin, I'm not holding anything back. If she knows, she's not telling me. Phillips warned Jones that Guns Pearson would want a statement. Jones popped a soda out of the lobby machine and sat in the empty bleaches as he waited for the team. The upper rain-smeared windows reflected on the shiny gym floor as he pushed in Maynard's number from the card he received at the trustees' meeting.
1: You are connected to Maynard Hall. I value your call and wish to speak with you as soon as I possibly can. Thank you very much.
0: Jones sneered at the phone. Maynard, what do you know about the play? Since you value my call, call me. Jones cut the line and rubbed his chin. Then he leaned back in the bleaches. Even Maynard's voicemail message was snooty. What he needed was Maynard's fingerprints, yet he was more confused as to why Pia was now dropping information about the shipping tape and Denver Lover. During the two-hour practice, Jones, preoccupied with Maynard and the slasher case, concentrated on basics. He grew increasingly aggravated without the full array of overhead lights. Over and over, his boys dribbled for layups, for an hour, they shot from the foul line, and then they practiced the fast break. But Jones speculated as he yelled for the team to run, run, run. Was the buzzing noise outside the boutique a scooter? Jones's side road theory was built on the noise being the scooter. Did Pia know more about the affair? "'You boys are doing great. You've won two in a row. I want you to push it. I want you to do what no other team is going to do. Run, Fletcher Hill.'" "'In the rain?' Somebody yelled out. After a short silence, he stepped toward them. It's letting up, and I'll run with you. Hey, coach, you want me to start replacing the bulbs? Asked Leo from the bleachers. We should have Arnie and his buddy do it, said Jones. What about the receipt? Send it to Doers. No. Send it to Hamilton Fletcher, Leo. Leo smiled. Well, I can't wait for this one. Okay, let's go, boys. Jones finished drying his hair. He jaunted away from the locker room, into his office, and pulled a dry sweatshirt over his head. Strickland approached down the locker room corridor. The police chief had two coffees and handed one cup to Jones. Not big mamas, said Jones, looking at the cup. Thanks, George. Campus cafeteria. I'll give you a pass. I saw you running with the boys. You think running in the rain is going to win the game? Monkey see, monkey do. Strickland laughed and nursed the coffee. Well, they'll respect that, Matthias, I think. More importantly, they'll be in shape, George. I always try and do more than the other teams. It gives you the edge. Plus, most of the storms passed over. Matthias, Wendell and I searched all the dorms. No reported sign of Lester. He did, George. I was over Newtown today at a Mercedes dealership. Darlene Deverno had a Mercedes. Jones nodded. How is that related to the murder? Strickland leaned toward Jones and raised his brows. I talked to the service guy, Punch Lawless. I know Punch. He used to work for the truck dealership in Prince William. That was a while ago. What did Punch say? Jones sat on the edge of the desk. Deverneau's lover. Lover? The one Pia told you about? Right. We'll call him Boris. Boris argued with Deverneau two-plus years ago, if Punch can be believed, and I think... Boris may have killed Deverno. I'm sure Guns will want to talk to both you and Punch. Punch won't like it. No, he won't. Strickland lifted his coffee cup as he spoke. Do you think Pia knows who the guy was? I have another call into her. George, given the fact that she and Darlene were best buds, she should know something more than what she's saying. Absolutely. Boris was taller than Deverno. That would eliminate Lester. What else? Jones gulped the coffee. This is what bothers me. He may have had sideburns. Not many people have sideburns nowadays. Are you accusing Maynard Hall of murder? Just reporting what Punch saw from a distance. Sounds like a long shot, said Strickland. Hamilton will blow his stack if you point the finger at Maynard. I'm not going to accuse anyone. There are always ways to draw people out. If we could just find Lester, we might learn more. Maybe he knew something about the affair. Strickland threw the empty coffee cup in the trash. What did Pierre really know is the question. I have that call into her. Wendell and Ned are surveilling Arnie and Muddy. George, I think Arnie has the master key to the college. Strickland made a sour face. He and some guy named Smitty were taking shots at the gym lights for money. Smitty? I saw Leo out front with a ladder. Of all people, Arnie doesn't need to have the master key to the college. Plus, even if we get it back, he'll make others at the lumberyard. I'll talk to him. Better yet, would you talk to Hamilton? I don't think we'll have to do a thing. You're right. Strickland looked at Lark's picture on the wall. Are you going to take down Lark's picture? No, said Jones, looking at the photo and then facing Strickland. Just a reminder that I'm here to win games. Chapter 12 Hamilton College Gymnasium, Hamilton College, Hamilton, New Hampshire Jones, stunned by his team's performance against Groton, raised his fist into the air at a three pointer by Steve Benson. That was a very good shot, Steve, he yelled and clapped his hands as Steve ran up the court. Throughout the game, Maynard had stared angrily with an unusual smugness at Jones. With three minutes left, Jones's no longer last-place team had a comfortable 16-point lead. He loosened his tie. The crowd began applauding and raising their arms into the air. Even with the rigors of the game, the exertion for the team was less than the trek up Fletcher Hill. His team had simply outrun Groton. Gallagher, a few rows back behind the bench, was out of sync with the crowd and the game. Jones, like Gallagher, remained shaken by Grace's near-miss at the hands of the slasher in the darkness of the St. Bart's parking lot. Hey, being a slave driver pays off, shouted Arnie from somewhere in the bleachers. Jones half-closed his eyes and focused on the game. Arnie's grating voice could easily rev him up. The clock quickly rolled down and Jones was soon at center court with the cheering crowd. Little kids, all excited, ran around the court. Gallagher stood rigid and looked lost within the mass of Hamilton fans. Maynard yacked on his cell phone in the upper bleachers as a woman with short, auburn hair looked on. Seconds later, Jones' cell phone rang as he squeezed through the crowd toward Gallagher. Jim, meet me in my office. Gallagher, solemn-faced, nodded. Jones opened the line. Matthias Jones. Mr. Fletcher. Maynard just
1: called. What the hell happened? What do you mean? Yelling at your players is not good for the image of the school.
0: Sir, we just won the game. Oh, he didn't mention that. And I wasn't yelling at anyone. You have faulty information. Maynard, laughing, pointed at Jones and scuttled with his wife toward the lobby doors. Hamilton coughed.
1: Well? you up here. Plans are in the works, my boy. Plans? You'll see.
0: Hamilton hung up and Jones sprinted toward the lobby. He caught Maynard near the outside door and grabbed his shoulder. Maynard, you little weasel. Something bothering you, Inspector Jones? Jones gripped both of Maynard's jacket lapels. You're so smug, I ought to smack you across the parking lot. Maynard's face reddened. "'You're a temperamental bastard, aren't you?' Jones pushed him, and his wife began ranting. "'I know your game. I know you followed Darlene Deverneau over to Crosstown Motors two years ago.' The wife stopped yelling and turned toward the wide-eyed Maynard. "'And then you argued with her. And you know why, Maynard?' Maynard adjusted his lapels. "'I don't have to take your absurd accusations.' What is he talking about? asked the woman. Shut up, Bertie. Because, said Jones, looking at Bertie, you were having an affair with Deverno. Oh, my God, cackled Bertie. How dare you, said Maynard through gritted teeth. How dare I? Because I'm in your head, Maynard. You want me to carry it further? Maynard grabbed Bertie by the arm and crossed into the parking lot. He said nothing as they moved swiftly through the dank air toward a larger SUV near the woods. Jones was now certain Maynard had been Darlene's lover, but he was not sure whether Maynard was the slasher. Wendell positioned his large screen cell phone in front of Jones inside Jones's office. The risque and glamour photos appear slightly embarrassed Jones, especially with the team still in the locker room. She's modeled all over the country, Matthias. Are you going out with her? Even as she aged, Jones could see her beauty in the evening dress and the swimsuits. Wendell, don't worry about it. Those legs can wrap around me anytime. Look, Wendell, Andesty and Pia has been a model in major cities. I wish I were in your shoes. Ba-ba-ba-boom! I'm just trying to find out information about the slasher. "'Sure you are,' said Wendell, winking. Father Gallagher wandered around the front of the locker room. "'Excuse me, Wendell.' Gallagher turned as Jones shuffled past Wendell. "'Jim, thanks for coming to the game.' Gallagher's voice lacked emotion. "'You're doing well. Another win. Congratulations.' Jones escorted Gallagher toward the lobby corridor. "'Jim, are you okay?' "'Just a little shaken up like everyone else about Saturday night.' Because tragedy almost hit Grace and Grace accepts it as if nothing happened because it didn't happen but I found your axe you what one of my parishioners John O'Malley told me it involves the Stanford game the axe head trophy is awarded to the winner of the Cal Stanford game every year its origins date back to 1899 really I verified it online Another dead end. It was said to me to send me down the rabbit warren. Gallagher nodded. Yes, I would say the killer conveyed a perverted double entendre to get everyone more scared than they already are. What a Grace see, Jim. Basically the same as Junior from Club Max. The scooter and someone in a gray hooded trench coat. Gloves on the high-rise handlebars. But at Club Max, it was Lester's scooter because Junior caught part of the tag number. Yet we now know there's another scooter, and Lester's scooter was inside the shed at the time of the St. Bart's incident. Why two scooters? asked Gallagher. Maybe for insurance. A misstep. He turned to Jones in front of the display case. I thought I knew good and evil. You know, in either or, but it isn't, Matthias. Whoever's under that gray hood and trench coat is a complete mystery, but evil. Nevertheless, the crowd exited beyond them like a slow-moving stream out of the lobby doors. Evil. Maybe that's why it's gotten under your skin. Perhaps. My more immediate question, Jim, is why the Slasher has turned up when both Coco and I have been together. Gallagher's brow creased. Does the Slasher know you? I don't know. Let me quote Aquinas. There's nothing on this earth more to be prized than true friendship. The Slasher senses that. Be on guard. Never thought of it that way. He held Gallagher's wrist. Jim, that's very insightful. It's my job to know people. Ought to beat them up. Now come on, Matthias. I've been out of the ring for ten years. Tomorrow morning we're having breakfast at the Colonial House, and I can send my chauffeur for you, said Jones, chuckling. Gallagher opened his little leather book. He dragged his finger over the page. After mass and before the 50s club at one o'clock. What time? Nine o'clock. I'll be there. He shook Jones's hand. And, Matthias, I'm not done thinking about the slasher and the play. Me either, Jim. I won't sleep. Jones hovered in front of the now-defunct Alouette Boutique. Its faded brown and gold sign and oversized dirty window made the shop seem decades older. Indirect sunlight shrouded the empty racks and shelves. The counter merged with the darkness at the rear of the store. Jones thought he saw blood splotches on the blue rug in the rear of the store. He shook his head. A gray-haired woman in a London fog moved up the sidewalk toward the college. She spoke as she approached. Matthias Jones. Jones smiled. Yes, do I know you? Her hazel eyes were as subtle as her voice. She extended her hand. I'm Harriet Graham, the school's librarian. Harriet, pleasure to meet you. She gazed into the defunct boutique. I heard you were trying to reopen Darlene's murder case. Yes, that's true, but I don't mean to come into town and rock the boat. Oh, no, I applaud your efforts. Darlene was very accommodating to all her customers, and she had the newest fashions. Jones nodded. Harriet, what about Darlene personally? Divorced, Mr. Jones. Matthias, why? Alvin suspected cheating, but he could never prove it. Cheating with whom? She pursed her lips. I don't know. Do you ever see this man? No. Jones turned toward the window. Do you have a little more time? Sure. Inside here, it's pretty much abandoned. What did it look like during its heyday? Elegant would best describe the Alouette Boutique. Classical music throughout the store. The rug you see now is the lower rug. There was a thick white plush, which got rather messy, the counters were high, gloss white, and a fan spun above. She have any other help? Helen Lockerbie, but she's passed on years ago. Very old. And the model, Negrigio, sometimes she would help with choices. They shopped together in Boston and New York, but she was mostly a friend to Darlene. Her presence in the store brought in customers for sure. She made big bucks as a model. So I hear. "'Darlene Hamden sometimes made custom dresses. "'That wasn't the norm. "'But they shipped if you were out of town. "'They had beautiful boxes sealed tight. "'How so?' "'Tape. White tape.' "'White tape? "'Who owns the building now?' "'She shook her head. "'Don't know the answer to that, Matthias. "'I'd like to get inside. "'If you find out in your travels who owns the building, "'sure.' "'Then she gripped his forearm. "'Are we safe, Matthias?' "'Yeah, we're safe.' Here in Hamilton, anyway. And these murders, despite the notoriety, are isolated. I wouldn't worry. Thanks, and good luck with your teams. Glad you're here. Me too. Nice to meet you, Harriet. Harriet lip-smiled and started down the sidewalk to the brick library. Jones found Strickland's name on his phone and called as Harriet moved away. Strickland. George, I know I'm new here in town, but I'm standing in front of the boutique. Wondering just how the hell the FBI took the investigation away from you at all. Let me
1: step outside, Matthias. Hold on.
0: Jones wondered about the boutique's back room in the dark. Possibly Hamilton Fletcher. What about him?
1: And I'm not sure about this, but somebody got to the FBI and they ended up saying the murder was unsolved.
0: Why? asked Jones, turning from the boutique. You brought it as far as you could, George. Can I get into the boutique?
1: Tom has the key because it went to taxes.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I'll call you when I get the key.
0: Have you been in there?
1: Yes, I have. With and without the FBI.
0: And did you find any white duct tape in there? Asked Jones. No. Harriet Graham said Darlene secured the boxes she shipped in white tape.
1: I find that very interesting. I wonder if Guns knows that.
0: Somebody's being protected, said Jones. I hope not. So the slasher is thwarted at St. Bart's parking lot and Lester Larson is floating around the area under suspicion. And Jones learns that Maynard, a college trustee, had an affair with Darlene Deverneau, the murdered woman in Hamilton from two years past. Ex-model Pia was connected to Darlene Daveneau through the boutique. Jones now has three suspects for Holly's murder. Not enough evidence. And Jones is getting a little bit close romantically to Pia. Jones and Pia are now dating, but something is nagging at Jones in the back of his head about this woman. She's almost too perfect. A little bit older, but almost too perfect. Reminds me of a poem by Emily Dickinson, which I didn't believe that Emily Dickinson wrote this poem, but she did. Wild nights, wild nights, where I would be. Wild nights should be our luxury. Feudal the winds, to a heart and port. Done with the compass, done with the chart. Rowing in Eden, ah, the sea. Might I but more tonight in thee. Wow. Jones is being chased by Cupid, and I'm Robert P. Fitton, and I'm leaving town. I will be back next week with another episode of the Prince William Slasher. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com. Or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com. is listed as part of the Nexus series. Let's start this engine, or should I say, let's mount this pony. When You're Dead, You're Dead by Robert P. Fitton begins now.